This morning we'll be reading from Nehemiah, the first chapter, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. But remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are to the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. If you'd like to follow in your pew Bibles, it's on page 398, but a number of scriptures will be behind me. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches this over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We believe that. We believe that the Lord has to do the work. No matter how many plans we have, nothing of spiritual significance will happen apart from the Lord's work. Our vision stands before us. Christ treasured above all things in Metro West and throughout the world. So we have been strategizing now for going on two years and we're about to embark on further developing our plans and mobilizing the congregation to reach out and to begin to fulfill this vision 
of reaching Metro West. But everything we do is for naught unless the Lord does the work. We may plant, we may water, we may even harvest, but it is God and God alone who does the increase. So the question that stands before us is how do we ensure that God is working with and through us? And that it isn't just our own personal efforts. And I think Nehemiah gives us the clues to that. His situation is somewhat parallel to ours. He has a heart for the city and the people of Jerusalem. He wants to restore it. We should have a heart for Metro West. Our desire is to reach it. His mission seemed somewhat impossible because he was going to make a request that was the exact opposite of what the king had just done. We look at Metro West and it seems impossible to reach Metro West. Nehemiah was going to have to overcome a number of hurdles to accomplish the task. We too will have to overcome a number of hurdles. As we pointed out last week, a survey in 2017 showed that Boston region is the second most de-churched city and region in the country. We will have hurdles before us. He was successful to get God to rebuild the city. The question remains, will we be successful? Let's pray. Our Father, we we want success, not to, not to grow this church, but to touch people who need Jesus Christ with the gospel. We believe this is your desire as well. Lord, go before us, work in and now through us. And Lord, hear our prayers for Metro West in Christ we pray. So, how did Nehemiah get God to do the work? And what we're going to see this morning is that Nehemiah was in union with God's mission, his motivation, and the prayer itself. So let's look at these, the mission. And we, if, to, to see the mission of Nehemiah, we have to go back almost to creation. Because we, there we see that God created uh, a world that was in union with him, but, but sin broke that. And so God, down the road, decided to choose one man, Abraham. And through Abraham, he was going to bless the world. And so you can picture it this way, is the world was in darkness, but God chose one man, one people, to be a light that would attract people to Yahweh, God. 
think of the light outside your front door at nighttime. You open the door and moths have all gathered around it because they, they've moved out of the darkness and they've been attracted to that light. And so Israel was to be that type of light attracting people to God. We don't see a whole lot of commands in the Old Testament for the, the Jews to go out among the nations and evangelize them. What we do see is the call for Israel to be a holy nation, a people of God who draw people to see the one true God. But what had happened was Israel had failed dramatically. They had begun to pursue other gods. They were living according to other gods, not according to God's commandments. They were unjust. They were unloving. They sought evil rather than good. They were no light. So if God had continued to bless them, people would look and say, oh, those are the people to follow. God did not want that to happen. And so he had to discipline and wake up the nation. And he took Israel away in 722 and dispersed them among the nations. And then in 605 through 586 BC, he took Judah and brought many of them into Babylon and left a remnant behind. They were disciplined for 70 years. But God had promised he would restore them after 70 years. And so he brought the people back to the city. And we're now in this passage, 70, about 70 years later, the walls of Jerusalem have been broken for a century and a half. And they're still broken. So Nehemiah's heart is united with God's mission to love the people of Israel that God loved, the chosen people, and to help restore Jerusalem, the city of God, to be the bright light. And so that's why we read in verse 4, and his brother and some of the, his, their friends <clears throat> come to Susa, the capital of Persia, where Nehemiah is residing as the cupbearer to the king. And it says, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed. The wall was critical to the rebuilding and safety and security of the city. The, the walls were the defense system of a city. And so the, the Jewish people would always be at risk as long as those walls had holes in them. No matter what they built could easily be destroyed again. And the people were living in shame in the way their city looked, in the ridicule they were receiving from the people around them. But Nehemiah had the heart that God had for the city. His mission was aligned with God's mission to reestablish Israel as a light to the nations. So, if we're going to line up with God, our mission has to be aligned with God's mission. It can't be Westgate's personal mission. 
And we believe this vision lines up with God's vision. For Christ not only to be treasured, but to be servants on mission for Jesus Christ in this region. It lines up with Acts 1.8 when Jesus said, you're, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world. And we at Westgate are doing pretty well to the uttermost parts of the world. We're perhaps the most mission-oriented church for our size in the whole area. But we need to also start here in Weston and in Metro West. That's a mission that God says, go be my witnesses. He spoke to his disciples and he's, he breathed on them to, to receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. So this vision, our mission aligns with God's. Are we committed to it is the question that we have. Motive. Nehemiah's motivation aligned with the heart of God. Nehemiah lived a life of comfort. He, he, he lived in the palace. He had the best food, the most privilege, the best clothing, highly esteemed. And yet we're going to see that he trades that all in. He, he puts it aside to live a life of hardship, danger, ostracism. And even at the very beginning, he puts his life on the line. See, he's going to ask, Lord, make me successful in the eyes of this man. That man is the king, King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. And you don't mess in any way with the Persian king. We see it in Esther where she goes before the Persian king and she knows her life is at risk because she hasn't been invited in. Nehemiah, we believe, is invited in. He's the cupbearer. He's, he's even an advisor to the king. But you always go into the king's presence with a smile on your face because your job is to make him happy. Nehemiah could not have a smile on his face. His heart was broken. And so he went in sad. And his request was something that he did not expect Artaxerxes to be pleased with. Because we see in Ezra chapter four that a few years before, the Jewish people started rebuilding the wall. And the adversaries and enemies reported back to the king, and we read this. They send a letter, Ezra 4. The Jews are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They're finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. You'll find in the book of your records and learn that this city is a rebellious city hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up from of old. 
That is why this city was laid to waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. Essentially, is they're going to rebel if you let them build the city. The response was, Artaxerxes stopped the work. Now Nehemiah is going to say, I'm going to rebuild the walls. He put his life on the line. The question is, why? Why did he trade away the privileged life for the persecuted life? Verse 5, when I heard these words about the city, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What he is saying is, his heart was broken for the city of Jerusalem and for the people of Jerusalem. The compassion was so great, he would risk his life. And I think as we look at Nehemiah's prayer, we're going to see two aspects to it. Two, he had passion for God and compassion for the people. He is asking in his prayer, God, restore your glory, restore your honor, fulfill your promise through your people, and do it through the people who are faithful to you, who revere you. See, Nehemiah's heart beat for the glory of God. He had a passion to see God honored. That's why he was able to risk all. But we also see his mourning for the people, his brothers and sisters. He understood through the message their brokenness and their shame. And he felt for them. It was love of God and love of others that moved his heart. So we are going to embark on an outreach, on an outreach mission. I don't want anyone to feel forced into that. That's not the right motivation. It's got to come from us, inside of us. We have to have a passion for God's glory, and we have to have compassion for the people around us. I don't have that creative compassion for those around us. I look and see wealthy homes, seemingly good education, families that seem to be together, a lot of wealth. What I don't look at is the brokenness, even in the, these kinds of homes around us. So how, how, do, how do I get compassion for those around us? <clears throat> My wife was, uh, recently read a book about an architect uh, in Paris during the Holocaust. And his job was he would design rooms in homes where you could hide the the Jewish people, keep them from the Nazis. And he did it for money. And he made an awful lot of money doing that until he began to meet the people he was hiding. 
and he understood what they were really going through. And after that, the money no longer mattered. The compassion he had for them because he got out among them and knew them, moved him to do the best work possible. In many ways, I've, I can hide in the office or, or just in, in visiting around and, and keep isolated from the community around me, and I've done a pretty good job of that. Um, that's one of the reasons I don't have the compassion. I pray for that compassion, and I know I need to get out more and more among the people. Maybe some of you feel the same way. Nehemiah had the right motive. He had the right mission. And we see an incredibly right prayer. And it's a prayer that is answered. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. His prayer is, make me successful. And it says, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, your face is sad. Since you're not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. He had good reason. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Nehemiah was putting his life on the line. But the king says, well, what are you requesting? And you know what he does? So I prayed to heaven. God's got to do it. He prays to heaven. And the response is, the king says, yes. But not only does the king say, yes, you can go back and rebuild those walls. I stopped having built. But I will give you a letter of safe passage through your enemies with my stamp behind it. And I'm going to help provide the resources to build the wall. Here's a letter to the, the king of Lebanon to get all the, the, the trees from Lebanon you need. Incredible answer to an impossible prayer. But Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Ten times in his 13 chapters in this book, there is reference to Nehemiah praying. He spent days in prayer at the beginning, and as soon as he's asked the question, he's in prayer before he answers. He is a man of prayer. And take, let's take a look at that prayer. Notice his address of God. We often call this the adoration of God. And what we're going to see is that his adoration lines up with what he is going to request. If you look at the prayers through scripture, you're going to see that the adoration of God, the address of God, always 
prepares us for the request, prepares God for the request. So, for instance, if, uh, if I'm going to ask God for healing, I don't say, oh, God of the nations. No, I say God who has the power and the care and the mercy. The one who is the great physician. See, those are the attributes of God that are important in that. If I'm going to confess my sin, I'm going to say, God, you are holy, because I'm looking at my sin through his eyes, and I'm going to say, you are merciful and you are gracious, forgiving. Nehemiah here is going to ask God to keep the covenant that he made with his people. And so we see in verse 5, he says, O Lord. By the way, Lord there, have you notice it's all in capitals? You know what that means? That's the personal name of God, Yahweh. What's that person? It's the personal name. It's, he's the God of Israel. It speaks of his intimate relationship in the covenant that they Israel has with God. He says, oh Lord, but God of heaven, just like the Lord's prayer, right? You might be intimate with us because you're the God of covenant, but you are also the God of heaven to be revered in the all-powerful one. You are great and awesome. So he's speaking of God's glory because he wants God glorified. Who keeps what? The covenant and the steadfast love he said, you're the God who keeps the covenant. Then I'm going to be praying, keep the covenant. You're the God who loves us. And I'm going to be praying, Lord, may your love shine upon the people and restore them. But notice he says, those who keep the covenant and love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So even in this address of God, he realizes God is a just God and that the people need to restore themselves to God, for him to have any right to ask God to restore himself to them. So his adoration aligns with who God is. And then he moves into seeing the nation and himself through the eyes of God, and he confesses his sin. Nehemiah 1, 6 through 7. I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted corruptly against you. We've kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you, we have not kept the commandments, statutes, and rules that you have commanded your servant. Nehemiah looks at what has kept Israel away from God's blessing, kept Israel from being able to accomplish God's vision, and that was their sin. It's what set them into exile. That has to be dealt with. They, he had to see, the nation has to see their sin and confess it before God. And we see that not only does he do that, 
as he confesses the sins of the nation, but he also looks at himself and says, I too have been sinning, have been a sinner against you. Lord, please forgive us. Please forgive me. If we're serious about reaching Metro West, we need to look at ourselves as God has looked at us. And if we have not had the compassion like I haven't, if we have not been motivated to reach out, if we have isolated ourselves, we need to lay that out before God, just as Nehemiah did. We need to unite with God. And then Nehemiah moves into the reasons that God should answer the prayer. And we're going to see this, especially next week, we're going to delve into this much more deeply of what we call, I call argument in prayer. An argument in prayer is not arguing with God, you should do this and you should do Argument in prayer is like a, an attorney who goes before a jury and presents his argument. He doesn't yell at the jury. He presents the, his case before the jury so the jury would say, you're right. And so what Nehemiah does is he presents his case before God. So God would say, Nehemiah, you're right. This is, I should answer this prayer. But what Nehemiah is doing, his case is actually God's case. See, if you're presenting God's case to him, then you should be very convincing in your prayer. And he does it two ways. One, he appeals to the promise that God had made to his people, the promise of the covenant. Verses 8 and 9. Remember, I don't think God really forgot it, but remember the word that you commanded your, Moses, your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I'm going to scatter you among the peoples. God, you were faithful to that. You did that. But then you said, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and you do them, though you're outcast in the uttermost parts of, the, of heaven, from there, I'm going to gather you and bring you to the place I've chosen you to make my name dwell there. And he's saying is, God, this is a promise. If we return back to you, if we start following your commandments, you said you'd bring us back, you'd put us in the city, we would dwell together, and we would hold your name up. We would start fulfilling that vision that you've called us to, being the light of the glory of God in a dark world. His prayer aligns with God, and then he appeals to God's relationship with them. Verse 10, they are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So notice what he's praying here. He's saying, God, you love these people. They're, they're, your, they're your people. And, and remember when you redeemed Israel from Egypt and you brought them out of Egypt? 
through your strong hand. Well, you're the same God today. We're the same people. We're your people. Do it again. We're yours. And we want to fulfill your vision. See how his prayer just aligns with God as our prayer should. We need a prayer base, a prayer foundation. We need to be prayers like Nehemiah if the Lord's going to build our house. And then we see in verse 11b, be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Hear my prayer, but notice the next phrase. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. See, he doesn't say, God, answer everybody's prayers. We're good people. We all have lots of personal interests, good things you love us. Answer all of our prayers. He's saying, no, God, I want you to answer the people, the prayers of the people who have a passion for you. I want you to answer the prayers of the people who are aligned with you, those who revere you, who fear you, who hold you up as sacred. In many ways, this reverence is the same thing as the prayer, hallowed be your name. Lord, may you be honored and glorified as you deserve. And it says, I want people who have that prayer and who delight in it. Those are the prayers that need to be answered because those are the prayers that are in line with God, God's desire, God's will, and our best interests in thriving. This is an incredible prayer, and I think it's an incredible prayer for us today. We're gonna move, mobilize, hopefully, and by the way, the rest of the book is Nehemiah mobilizing, strategizing, working, bringing the people together to be successful in rebuilding the wall. So those are things we have to do. But first, and throughout that time, it's prayer. It's aligning with God's vision. It's having the same passion for God and compassion for the people that God has for them. And it's aligning our prayers, not just praying, but aligning our prayers with the very heart and mind and will of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our Father in heaven, you are holy, you are loving, you are gracious, and you are good. You are the creator and Lord deserving of honor and glory and praise and worship. May your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Merciful Father, we have sinned not having the passion for those around us. I think of the report 10 years ago from consultants who looked at Westgate and saw our missions program and said, that's incredible. And then looked at our regional area outreach and said, 
you've hired out the work God has given you to do. So Lord, I know 10 years ago, we need to make this confession, and we did. And Lord, we lay that before you that we have not done that. We thank you that through Pastor Brandon and through Pastor Dave Brooks, that you began to give us the vision that you have. Now, Lord, move us out to align with that vision. But I personally confess, Lord, my failure, my failure to, to reach out as I should to my community, to be engaged in my community for your sake and not for my own personal sake. I confess, Lord, that I don't want to confess because when I say I'm wrong, it means I should change. And I can't promise that change through my weakness. But Lord, that's why I'm calling upon you to work in me, to keep me connected to that passion for you, and to move me, Lord, to have compassion for those around me. Lord, I confess my inadequacies. And I thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ, for the cross of Christ that forgives me and cleanses me of this and all my sins. May that gospel truth not only give me the confidence before, before you that I am forgiven, may it not only remind me of not only my brokenness, but the brokenness of those around me, the need that is out there for you. And Lord, may it compel me and compel that forgiveness, the gospel compel all of us to say what you have given us, everyone around us needs, compel us to move beyond the walls of this church. May it transform us, help us to grow and become the people you would have us to be so that we are a light to those around us. For Jesus, though he was the light of the world, he said, you are the light of the world. Don't hide it under a bushel basket. May we never do that, O oh Lord. Father, even as we are developing our plans, continue to give us that passion for you and compassion for our neighbors. Move us through those feelings. Help us to see our neighbors through your eyes and feel their brokenness as well as our own brokenness. Give us wisdom in our plans and go before us, Lord, for it's only you can transform hearts. Only you bring those divine appointments for us. Open doors for your gospel to go out. Even now, Lord, as we think of those around us, we, we, we pray for those, the families who lost loved ones in the Ukrainian flight tragedy, for those who've lost loved ones in the storms throughout the South, for the difficulties and deaths raised through the earthquake in Puerto Rico, and Lord, for the restoration of Haiti, even after the earthquake 10 years ago in this 10th anniversary of that earthquake, Lord, there's, there's so much devastation, confusion. 
Lord, work through the churches to be lights, to minister to the brokenness there.